Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, the Good Beer Seal. And today is October 26, 2017. We've got a special live Cider Week show, some great guests. I mean, so much is going on for Cider Week New York. Last night we were at the uh, Hidden Stars event at Astor Center with with so many great New York State producers and and, and experts and... um, you know, we're going to have a great show today. We're talking about kind of New York apples, these great kind of grower orchardists who are making great ciders in New York State. And joining me, you guys, everyone just go around the room and introduce yourselves. I'm Jen Smith. I'm the executive director of the New York Cider Association. All right. I'm uh, Ezra Sherman, and I'm involved with uh, my wife and I and our partner own Eve Cidery. Way up in... Um, that's a long story we were talking about. <laughs> we're about 20 miles south of Ithaca, south of Seneca and Cuga Lakes. It feels like, uh, I often describe it as like District 12 from the Hunger Games. <laughs> it's the, it, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains where Katniss is from. And it's uh, beautiful. We uh, really love it. And I'll try to communicate how much we like you it. You practice there. shooting arrows at apples. Uh, <laughs> no. Boy, that's a good one. You could, you know, <laughs> Katniss, hey. And Dan, my, my, our buddy, good to have you back on the show. Thanks. Uh, Dan Wilson from Slybro Cider House in the uh, northern Hudson Valley, southern Champlain Valley. All right. Big shout out to our sponsor, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and ciders. So just as these guys are introducing themselves, I think one one thing we're going to talk about is just how do you, you know, talk about your your terroir and and, and the region that that you guys are in and what you guys have done, you know, with your orchards and and the the great, you know, apples that are growing in in New York State. So let's just jump in. Dan, you know, you've you've been around a while and tell us a little about your orchard and, and the region that you're in and you know, type of ciders you're making? Um, the farm that I run is Hicks Orchard, and uh, it's up in Granville. We're the oldest pick-your-own orchard in the state, and we have some orchards that are over 100 years old. Uh, but anymore, we're planting uh, uh, you know, high-density orchards mostly, uh, and a lot of it we're segregating to either fresh market or, or uh, hard cider production. So we're trying to build up our, our range of palate of, uh, of apples that are available for our hard ciders. And uh, and kind of filling a gap because uh, frankly there's there's not enough of that in the in the area, uh, in in but at the same time New York State I think is perfectly positioned to be able to grow this uh, great diverse range of apples and uh, to create some great ciders around them. Great, Ezra. Um, so you're not quite finger legs. Exactly? <laughs> well, like kind of you know a little bit of your terroir, oh, yeah. the, your orchards, oh, yeah, the sure, region great. you're in, and why it's so hard to actually pinpoint. You know, do you have a region that you can say, I'm in this region for well, cider so, making? So our, our terroir, um, I think, is, is uh, largely defined by um, the growing practices that we, that we bring to the orchards. We've got, um, we've got like three sites. Um, one of them is ex- extremely hilly, 
Um, and then we've got a Valley site, and then we've got a partner who's in between us and Ithaca, also with a kind of a sloping site and more deeply um, uh, well-drained soils. Um, for the past eight years, we've been um, growing organically and um, moving from uh, growing for uh, fresh eating to, uh, uh, to only cider production, which is really, I think, it's freed us up in a lot of ways. Um, and, um, and we've been kind of evolving in our, in our knowledge and understanding of organic methods. I could talk about that more, and I find that very interesting. No, and we'll get there. And, and yep. Jen, so you now, as you're head of the New York Cider Association, you know, there's different cider weeks around the state. Tell us about those and kind of the, the regions that you guys have picked. Yeah. I, can I jump in and yeah. build on something Ezra said, though? I think it's worth noting for, for your listeners, some of them may already know, but the distinction between the fresh fruit that Dan and Ezra are talking about and the hard cider fruit is you know, characteristics and qualities of the fruit that you perceive with your eye, with your palate, with your nose. So fresh fruit is really going to be about cosmetic appeal and crunch and sweet. And the cider fruit is going to be a little more expressive in terms of aromatics. It might have some tannins, might have really unpleasantly high acid in terms of, you know, trying to eat it out of hand. So it's a very different kind of fruit than, than what what you know if you're somebody who goes to you pick and you know and get some Macintosh off the tree if if I may jump in um, I think what I usually try to um, compare um, cider to is grape wine when I'm talking to people and to communicate what what Jen was was communicating that the varieties and the way you grow it exactly like grape wine um, is reflected in the quality of the cider and um, as I listen to myself, I, I think about something Autumn just told me before I went on the show, which is, um, when you talk on the radio, could you add inflection to your voice? <laughs> so, okay. So I'm going to try to go up a uh, tone sometimes. On the radio? Turn it into a question? Yeah, turn it into a question. <laughs> well, um, let Dan but, jump on this one. Yeah, yeah. sorry. I just, I just Everyone's moving around. But Jen, do you want oh, to yeah. just fill in? Like, so the regions, you were trying to do an yeah, intro. So. We have a, a couple of different cider-making regions in the state. We have um, you know, a great density of cider makers in the Hudson Valley. We've got a good group in the Finger Lakes, and there's a, an emerging region in western New York, sort of outside Buffalo through to Rochester and Wayne County. There are also cideries in several other locations in the state. We have a couple in New York City. We have a couple out on Long Island. But Hudson Valley, Finger Lakes, and western New York are the primary regions. And we have had cider weeks in the Hudson Valley and the Finger Lakes for a few years now. And in 2018, we're going to launch Cider Week Western New York. So your listeners in Buffalo and Rochester can look forward to, you know, great opportunities to meet with makers and sample the diversity and quality of New York. That's Ciders. great. It's definitely one one thing that when I look at your your site, the New York Cider Association, I'm seeing uh, the Oaks family, which is steampunk. Mm -hmm. They're out by Buffalo, mm -hmm. and um, I know you've got Embark, which is Rochester. So just looking at this, you know, range of of statewide, you know, producers, and, and th those are all like great kind of apple growing regions too, aren't they? Some yeah, and, and you know, there, there are, in New York State, there are three major apple-growing regions. There's Western New York, which historically has been uh, kind of the, the center of of processing apple production, 
and this is a, a different kind of orchard, a different kind of uh, a set of priorities, and, and frankly, different varieties than you see in the Hudson Valley, which historically has been you know, mostly about uh, dessert apples for the fresh market. And then northern New York, which has tried to you know, do a little bit of both, but um, anymore, you know, just the nature of uh, the growth of the apple industry, people are more focused on getting a higher return. So a lot of the guidance we've gotten from Cornell is really how to design orchards to maximize you know, the, the, the cosmetic quality of fruit and, and focused on varieties that really are uh, getting the major you know, maximum dollar per uh, or the uh, the, the best return for growers, which are you know the high-end dessert quality fruit. So it's a complete mind shift to be able to grow apples for hard cider. And uh, in terms of uh, uh, you know even uh, not just the varieties we choose, but how we design the orchards, how we manage those orchards for you know the the, the, the high uh, flavor quality that we want to get in the ciders. So, Part of the work that we're trying to do is, is really to talk to growers to kind of convince them that there really is a market for this fruit. And I think to back up, the, the really, I think we need to talk about why that's important. That uh, for uh, the, the cider industry to continue to grow, we need to kind of uh, elevate the quality of ciders to, to, uh, to have them really reflective of the quality of the, the juice and the apples that go into them. And to kind of express the range of what's possible in ciders. Uh, uh, so that it continues to, uh, you know, develop some connoisseurship for cider, and uh, and the, the market can can start to mature, and uh, and and then that that become reflective in in uh, the value of the fruit that goes into it, and the and justifying the cost that it, you know to uh, establish these orchards and. Uh, and that becomes a, a healthy industry. You know, last night at the your, the Hidden Stars event at Astra Center, did you have any consumers that, that came up to, to you and and, and uh, ask about a certain you know bottling that you've made, like, as if they're you know it's a collectible or, or a cult status, or, or people are still just trying out what you're doing? I'm going to mention Eve. That's why the other night we had a show with Steve Salen talking about still cider, and the one cider that everyone kept referencing as as being like the, this great fruit expression was your still cider, which I don't even know the name of. I think that's the uh, the Albi Hill. Yeah, and <clears throat> we started making a, a still cider um, several years ago. We um, we we put a lot of effort into the bubbly ciders that we make, and it is the majority of the volume that we produce because we make all our bubbly ciders with the champagne method. But really, the still cider is, um, to me and to Autumn, I think the epitome of what cider can be. And that's what we kind of seek with the Albi Hill, which is a still cider. Because you don't, it's dry, so it doesn't have the sugar to camouflage the flaws or the assets of the, of the apples that we use. And it doesn't have bubbles, which also um, are, you know, adds a real celebratory air to cider. It's what people expect, but it's also um, can, uh, it also in the same way can mask or, or camouflage the, the qualities of the cider. And um, yeah, um, and yeah, sorry, if that answers the question. So we, yeah. we do two uh, still dry yeah. ciders too, and they're focused mostly on uh, heritage American varieties. Uh, plus English bittersweet or bitter sharp. One is a 85% Kingston Black, and the the reason we started to do that was because we wanted again. I think cider makers were, were trying to 
to uh, to lead people with a little bit of education on what Wasider is. And so for us, it was important to to have people understand that this is a winemaking process. And by putting out a still dry cider, it was it seemed to us a smaller step to bring wine drinkers into the world of cider because there's a continue a continuum. Of, uh, of of ways you can describe cider, the you know the vocabulary is, is very similar, uh, and, and so to kind of wrap your minds around or a customer's mind around what we're trying to do, it, it, it seemed to be a, a good entry point for the conversation. And as Ezra was saying, you know, a, a still cider that really is reflective of the fruit, you have you don't have anything to mask that basic quality of the, of the fruit. Uh, so the, it, it's it's. Um, <laughs> We don't sell a lot of it, so it's good for an educational tool. But uh, uh, and but I think there's a value in that too, and uh, it it, uh, it it's it does stimulate the imagination. But it's it's a very drinkable cider. It fits in a lot of uh, a lot of occasions. Yeah, we're, and with Ezra, we're going to taste uh, side by side what two of your yeah, ciders, you, you, different you, vintages. Right. You you started off the conversation talking about um, terroir, and I had a. Uh, foreshadowing that that might be on the on the table so i brought um two ciders um that are made from northern spy apples um which we could talk about the origin of of which but so uh they're the same apple they're different vintages one's a 2014 one's a 2015 and um they're uh from 100 uh estate grown 2015, and then the 2014 is from apples that we bought in from a grower in western New York. So their climate is much more moderated by the lakes, the Great Lake, whatever Great Lake he's on. My geography's poor. But <laughs> how many um, are there? Five. Yeah. How many? How many are adjacent to New York State? That's the question. You're the first person to ever mentioned Hunger Games on the show. Do you know that? <laughs> is that true? <laughs> well, that's because I'm from Vanetten. You haven't had many people from Vanetten <laughs> on the show. Um, so I'm going to open it, but there is an obvious difference between the two. Once again, same apple, same production method. That is, we made both of the ciders in different years, um, but uh, grown in two different sites. So, whoa, whoa. Oh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, um, we're going to take a short break soon. But Ezra, you know, give us more backstory. So I, I read that in 1999, Autumn was reading about a, a, a fruit magazine and, and read about this guy Steve Wood. Uh, who was had gone to England and got Scion Wood? Yeah, know, glad, to, gladly. Autumn was uh, was 21 then, and she was working as a waitress, but wanted to be a farmer. And yeah, she uh, read about and and she was working with our our present partner James Cummins um, at a UPEC and was um, was intrigued. There's a better word for it, but was intrigued by the idea of making cider and had started making cider from drops of dessert fruit at the time. And, uh, yeah, so she read an article about this guy, um, Steve Wood, and that there was this thing he was talking about, English bittersweets, which are these varieties that have been discovered to have um, tannins, which, which um, is an asset to cider, gives it structure, etc. cetera. And, uh, and she drove up... And to Farnham Hill, uh, Poverty Lane Orchards in New Hampshire, in Lebanon, New Hampshire. And Steve Wood, this was 16 or 17 years ago, and she, once again, she was a 21-year-old, you know, young person. He didn't know her at all. And he, like, t- 
totally like graciously received her. I'm sure he was completely overwhelmed, like everybody is who who um, is has an orchard. But um, took her around his orchard and and collected sign wood from different um, cider varieties and gave it to her. And really, sh- she'll never forget that generosity at the time. And we've we've um, have a close relationship. I think they're great. That's great. We'll come back and talk more about, you know, how you guys got started and back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's Cider Week NYC. New York City, we're doing a special live show. And uh, special message from Jen Smith, New York Cider Association. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just wanted to observe, you know, consumers often struggle to understand where cider fits between fine wine and craft beer. And, of course, there are three unique beverages. But um, one thing that is uh, special about cider, and especially cider from the Northeast... Um, you know, this, these fruits, and I think, is this, what we're going to taste is Newtown Pippin, right? Um, this one's the Northern Spy. But it, oh, it's Northern Spy, excuse me. Um. This also originated in New York State. Right, exactly. So the point that I was going to make was, you know, we've got a few different apple varieties that are incredibly well suited to cider with their aromatic profiles and the various other, um, sensory qualities that they have that are growing here naturally and make wonderful fermented products um you know there's lots of interesting wine being made all over the country but those grapes are not from there um and it can be a struggle to grow grapes that make good wine in most of the regions in the united states we're blessed by having this natural um you know kind of indigenous uh fruit here that that makes such wonderfully drinkable wonderfully food friendly so we uh, should just keep is. keep this up and keep yeah. supporting New York State mm-hmm. cider makers. Get to know tannins. All right. So Ezra, you, you, you're, you're doing a little taste test with us. Talk us through. We have two vintages of what Eve Cider, Northern Spy. Is there a, is there a label name for this cider? Um, yeah, people say uh, 
What kind of cider is that? What's it made from? I say it's a northern spy. <laughs> it's prominent on the label. I'm just going to pour um, the 2015 now. So you said you had the you 2014. And, so this is a good backstory. So you said that the 2014, you bought most of the apples from yeah. Western New York. Right. But by 2015, you had some of your own. Yes. Well, um, 2014 was an off year for us. So we uh, bought 100% of our, actually, I can't say that for a fact, but this is 100%. Um, the 2014 is 100% from a grower in Western New York, like a large grower, like, for us, a 100-acre orchard is pretty mind-boggling, but in that region, it's not out so is, of Is out that of an question. issue for you guys? You know, th- there's off years? I mean, I, I, it's a, do, you, it's an, it's do apples a, produce the same every year, or they don't? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. It, um, it's an enormous issue for us. This year, we're um, 100% estate-grown because um, some of the, uh, the younger trees that we plant are, are coming on, but... But probably two of the f- past five years, we've lost the crop. Um, this year, we we thought definitely it was another uh, <laughs> another uh, horror story or <laughs> uh, tragedy for us. But basically, you can lose a crop by having a, a warm winter or, or an, uh, and then um, having an early like bud break, and 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 then a, a freeze, which 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 kills the bloom. So and then, then that's a, it for the year. That's it for the year, and then and then you get into this biennial uh, kind of cycle where the trees in the following year, if they're not um, if they if they're allowed to yield, they will they will they will they they will have the previous year formed a lot of fruit buds in, in response to not having fruit. The following year, they'll then they'll they'll have, produce a huge crop. They might overcrop. Which affects the quality of the fruit and the the um, health of the tree, and then the fa- and then the year after, even if you don't have a freeze event, you might not have a you, you very well might not have a crop, if that makes sense. So this and then it'll start to get this biennial cycling. The the large growers who are conventional use hormones and and spray their orchards to to cause the fruit to drop, uh, and and to avoid the that biennial cycle. I think a lot of people don't realize what goes on with conventional farming and um but that's that's one thing that most people don't realize also that their apples could be like over a year old and in storage that they're eating so uh, i think i think what theirs is getting to is is how challenging it is to grow apples and uh there it, and it's and it's true i think that anymore there's no sense of we all talk about the new normal which is every season is going to be a little bit different uh, or radically different. And uh, so that is compounded by the fact that uh, a variety like Northern Spy kind of wants to be biennial. And, and so there are, uh, along with the, the seasonal or climatic variations that we're seeing and, and starting to learn about, there's a lot of adjustment. And so it was my understanding that in, in the year that you bought apples, uh, you know, it was the kind of the, the confluence of these events that you didn't have a lot of spies on hand. So you really had to, to, to go outside to, just to find some to, to make that, that line of cider. Uh, but also I think it was in talking with Autumn about this too, that, that part of the variation is you, you manage the fermentation the same way, but what this uh, cider is a little reflective of 
is perhaps you know how the orchard was managed and the difference in uh, everything from uh, the, uh, the the management strategy to how early the apples might have been harvested rather than you know the fully ripe uh, apples that would uh, produce the, the best flavors. Absolutely. So should we? Um, you guys want to compare the two? There's two glasses in front of everybody, and uh, just tell us what strikes you as being different between the two. You could look at them first, I would say, and see see if we're looking. A, yeah. See any difference? We're looking. Or, I've been smelling a little bit. Doesn't help that the light's kind of yellow in here, but uh, <laughs> Lefty, which is the 14. Yes. Has a much more pronounced, like golden. Well, I think you might have gotten switched. You know, as, as <laughs> we do this, damn. <laughs> earlier we were talking about like you know the cider association nationwide is figuring out like you know yeah. tests and 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 education for for the yeah. consumer and for servers. You know, what are some you know contemporary lang- language vocabulary that we can use w- when we're tasting? Like the other day, I was tasting, and someone said there's a green, you know, a, a, a green taste to to a cider. Are there any vocabulary words that, that you know? I don't. I don't use? think we want to throw anything out. I personally, because I, 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 if it's a, 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 a bit of language that is a, a little arcane, I, I think that what we want to do is to be as expressive as we can in describing these ciders and have people kind of reach for that understanding. And I think that happens a lot in the wine world too. That you you taste something, somebody says, "Do you taste the pepper in this in this wine?" And then you kind of do. So. Uh, uh, I, I don't really think we need a new language. I think we could probably work on being a little bit more accurate in how we describe things. But we really want to be evocative. We want we want people to, to have a sense that there is, a, again, a wide range of, of possibilities in how you understand cider. Uh, the, the, the apple genome is so great that uh, you can really get some really unusual qualities in cider. And you get some really creative cider makers who are really focused on finding these things, sometimes even feral apples that come from a particular park somewhere in, uh, you know, in, in a little town, and, and uh, consistently making cider from that, those, uh, those trees, then uh, that tells another story. And, uh, but it, it should be, you know, again, about the apples that, that go into it. So with regards to the comparison, um, I'll just lead you a little bit uh, and suggest that, so the 2014 is is much lighter than the 2015. Um, the 2015 is, is more golden. I think um, the stats on the, on the two, the 2015 has uh, more acidity, and it, I, in your mouth, has more tannin. Yeah, that pops out right yeah. away. Yeah. Right. And in the nose, too, that comes out across. So same apple, uh, same in the cider uh, techniques. And but as Dan said, you can you can you can uh, your imagination or you know if you if you talk to the other grower, uh, perhaps could determine the differences. Or, or early picking is is certainly a possibility before it's ripe. Um, climate that the the uh, climate's moderated by the the large body of water near his orchard, very near his orchard, um, and that type of thing. Yeah, totally. So it's it's more it's it's terroir the site, but it's, it's also gro- practices of yeah the totally grower. growing methods. You know, um, it, you know, most people I think when they go by a vineyard, they're used to seeing Roundup strips. You know, right underneath the the grape vine rows, and it's similar with large with large growers. 
Um, and you know what what effect does that have on the quality of the of the fruit that the apples produce that are you know grown on Roundup strips, as compared to a um, you know a grassy base? What's Roundup? Uh, Roundup is is an herbicide that's um, it, I, I don't know I heard I heard a, a story on it, but the, there's something like a hundred million gallons of it or something. It's, it's like a, a Monsanto. Monsanto. It's a Monsanto product. Ooh. Yeah, it's I think it's most, why we resist common, GMOs. Well, it's the most common uh, herbicide. Yeah, and you know when, when um, I had always been told it's completely harmless. Now, now lo and behold, it's coming out that that it has uh, it has um, human health impacts. But um, but but it is an amazing product because it it eliminates um, it eliminates plants basically, yeah. and it's so easy to use. And for a lot of people, it's it's very important to eliminate uh, com- competition at the base of the trees. Um, and, but there's other things you can do which are labor intensive and expensive. And uh, so talking about you know conventional versus or- organic. You know, how do consumers know that you're you're doing certain practices what that I, these bigger guys aren't? I, I would say organic certification is a um, is one place, but I don't even trust you know na- uh, national certification right now. I think I think more importantly is to know your farmer, and I think that's more important than than organic certification, for example. To find out from them what what their what their growing practices are, just for example, um, organic apples. That sounds like a good litmus test. Does it have an organic sticker on it? But um, up until maybe last year, in on the West Coast, uh, fire blight was a is a, is a huge uh, fungal disease pressure that that was huge on the West Coast, and it's come here unfortunately, and is big here now. But um, Organic apples up until about last year could be sprayed with antibiotics, and you would, nobody would ever guess that. But that was allowed by the by the USDA U.S. organic standards. Um, so, and and uh, and also um, beyond organic, I think it's it's also important to consider the impact on the environment that that transporting apples all over the place has has on the environment. And so I think. Um, People need to like kind of know where their apples are coming from, and, and I think a lot of people have a desire to, to to have that connection to the grower. So I should be buying lo- local cider from Ugly Fruit, and if the fruit's too pure, then it's probably got some chemicals on it. Totally. Hmm. And Dan, what about for you guys, like statewide, or you, 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 know, you, you sit on some of the the U.S. Cider Association, you know, panels, and you know, what, what is the conversation about about this, about labeling, about how to how to how to communicate to consumers, you know, I, that growers uh, are doing I, the right I, thing. Well, I think from the uh, U.S. Cider Association perspective, the the priority is uh, it it does it does go to quality, but I think one of the main projects we're working on now is actually a, a slightly different topic, and that is. Um, is uh, uh, creating a dryness scale so that people who uh, are looking at uh, a bottle of cider can uh, have a, a good sense of what they will experience when they when they open up the bottle, and and uh, nicely I think that's a that's a project that the USACM is uh, adopting from the work that we're doing here in New York State, uh, working with Cornell to uh, to develop the scale which will end up being like a little bar graph on a bottle. Uh, and it, it won't just 
tell you how much sugar is in the bottle, it will kind of be a little bit more sophisticated measure of the perceived dryness of a cider, which is, uh, you know, a combination of the acid, which is naturally in the fruit, and the sugar, which is naturally or added to the, the cider, um, but also the, the tannin quality. So that, you know, a, a very acidic cider that is also has a lot of sugar in it will still taste a little bit on the dry side. It's all about the perception that people have when they when they open up the bottle, because I think the, the, the market is, is gravitating toward drier ciders, which I think is a good thing, because again, I think that's a little bit more uh, accurately reflective of what's in the bottle, and I think it shows a little bit more sophistication in the market uh, to get past kind of entry-level ciders to something that's a little bit more unique. Uh, beyond that, we're trying to work on uh, on just the basic parameters of the framework of or, or an outline of how to talk about cider. As uh, uh, you know, all these little projects, including comparing year to year or different regions, I think it was very early days in the cider industry. I can imagine a place, you know, somewhere down the road where we are uh, we're so knowledgeable about the fruit that can grow that can go into cider that we can. Uh, that there will be more common uh, understanding that a northern spy that's grown in the Finger Lakes is going to taste different than a northern spy that's grown in my area in the Champlain Valley because there are enough there's enough historical record there's enough uh, experience with that that the, and there's enough understanding and education in the marketplace that 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 will have achieved something that's been kind of common in the wine world for a long time. Um, we're not. We're obviously very early in the process of uh, getting to that point, and I think that's why this uh, this experiment is so exciting because uh, you can really start to see that there is some real distinct difference in uh, in in flavor from year to year and from region to region, and uh, so this is like a, a, a small step in that direction. I think I'm going to have a, another refill of the <laughs> Eve Cider Northern Spike 2015. We'll 15. take a sh- short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Yeah. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's a special Cider Week New York City episode, and we're talking about reading the Game of Thrones books now. Because yeah. people upstate read books. I like that. Yeah, we, uh, we do, actually. Uh, we were talking about terroir, but... Um, we're getting uh, too we, loose. We're getting cider drunk. Yeah, That's another concept, I, but and terroir. Jen, Jen was talking about um, the uniqueness and the... Uh, and what makes New York State special, I think, in the beginning. And it was just a, it occurred to me while I was listening to the conversation, another thing that, that makes New York special is, of course, I've never lived anywhere else but New York State, so I can't say that this is a, um, a fair comparison, I guess, but um, we, we were involved in the uh, fracking uh, issue and, uh, and anti-fracking activism and um, 
I, I kind of witnessed this difference between New York State and Pennsylvania in how the, the public uh, reacted uh, to the issue and the kind of the, the, the level of organization. I won't go into that, but, but with regards to apple growing, it, it occurs to me that, um, that there's, there's a, a curiosity with growers in New York and a, um, an interest in, in going outside the envelope. Um, and we've seen that in this kind of group that we have in the Finger Lakes area who uh, talk about um, or kind of alternative growing methods. So it's like um, you, you've got the research coming out of the universities, which can be, I think, uh, stayed <laughs> or, or, or lack kind of inspiration or creativity. And then you've got growers who have like enough experience that they kind of have almost like an intuition in how to deal with with a, a pest or, a, or, a, or an obstacle. Um, and I was just thinking to myself specifically about um, plum curculio, which is a, a very uh, difficult insect pest for everybody. And um, this uh, researcher from Cornell University who was, who was, uh, who was doing research on... Um, uh, on beneficial uh, nematodes, they 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 were growing them or reproducing them at Cornell to deal with a, a pest that infects like uh, grain crops, uh, like a um, and but the the insect it's very similar I think in the in its the like the structure that it uses to to inject the egg into the into the plant. And he suggested that the, the nematodes could be used to um, go after plum curculio when they were in the like larval stage in the ground. So we, we ended up, uh, uh, how would you say it, reproducing the nematodes ourselves, which was an interesting project. Basically, the, the nematodes are like a microscopic roundworm. And um, when, we, when we did it, we, we bought the nematodes, uh, we bought these like mealyworms, they look basically like grubs that you would get in like a container of, of wood shavings. And those, those grubs had been, had been um, inoculated with these nematodes. And the life cycle of the nematodes would begin by going into these grubs and reproducing and then and killing the, the grub in the process and then emerging. So we got these containers of inoculated grubs that were basically not long for this world. And then um, after a certain time that they told us to wait at a certain temperature, they emerged from the bodies of these grubs. <laughs> and and we, we basically washed the nematodes off, you know, with a, with a colander or whatever, the screen, into another container. And uh, meanwhile had received, um, like, you know, like, 50 containers of these of these grubs for our own use um, that we then like inoculated ourselves with this diluted solution of nematodes so that um, I'm waiting it, for the recipe bread them and fry them you know, it's, you know so it's, your cider's not it's, vegan it's, it's it's almost macabre because you're you're basically bread them and fry you're gonna you're gonna so so the the kind of the grubs are mixed into these these wood shavings in each container. And, and we would just pour a little bit of this diluted nematode solution into each container. And 20 days later, whatever the, the period was, 
all the grubs were on the surface of the wood shavings in each container. They, they moved to try to escape. Oh. Yeah, exactly, to escape the nematodes, and ne- but nevertheless were infected and dead. Then we'd wa- we washed off all of those um, grubs into, and, and then diluted them and put them in the sprayer and, and, and sprayed them on, on the uh, orchard floor to inoculate the orchard in the hopes that it, it like, like most things, uh, it went a little awry in that um, Autumn told me the, like, kind of the rate to put them down on. We kind of rigged up a, a boom off the sprayer and, and made kind of our own sprayer to, to, to spray down towards the ground. But, and she told me the, the, the rate, which was basically what speed to go in the tractor at what RPM. And when I was like halfway through, I had run through the whole tank of these nematodes. It, it turns out that she had, she had calibrated it based on, on the, the hose being kinked. And I had looked at it and unkinked it. And that, that kind of threw the... But, uh, but you so know, we did half the orchard. So, so Ezra, and, have you guys sold the movie rights to the mm-hmm. store yet? <laughs> yeah, well, I didn't, em- I didn't embellish it at all. It was as dramatic as that. But what, what this brings me to is just how much work you guys actually do in the orchard. Yeah. And which, which you're getting me to realize that just how hard you have to work to make good apples. Yeah, and that's not even talking about, like, the, the, uh, the fuel injection pump that goes at the wrong time <laughs> and trying to, trying to, to learn how to take off a fuel injection pump on a tractor for the first time under pressure and all that stuff. But that is, that, 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 that's the part of like cider making that, that I really, one part of it that I really enjoy, which is, which is working outside and also with, with tools and, um, and, you know, and, 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 and coming up with alternative ways of, of doing things. And let's just go back. So we mentioned 1999, Autumn read about Steve Wood, went and got some scion wood from, yeah. from him. You know, bring us into the 2000s. You know, tell us how well, you guys really got started. And Well, um, I, her partner at the time, she, so she got started with, with James Cummins, who had a, a UPEC outside of Ithaca. And um, he, he's, he's kind of a, a larger-than-life kind of person. He's a, um, o- older than, I'm, I'm 50, it turns out. I'll say that on the air. <laughs> Just turned fifty, um, but he's a little older than us, and um, he uh, he's larger than life. You know, he he believes in in crazy things, but, um, but he's also associated with one of the the, the the bigger and more diverse nurseries in New York State. Right, and so his family. He's like a sixth generation orchardist. His dad was a, a Cornell uh, uh, um, plant breeder who um, came up with the Geneva line of rootstocks, which is one of the, the three, basically, that are grown in this country. And um, his brother um, and his father, his father's amazing, he's like 93 or something now, still still doing plant breeding. But anyways, um, have a Cummins Nursery, and they ship thousands, like tens of thousands of um, of. Uh, fruit trees, mostly apples, and a, and a large portion of that being cider varieties throughout the country. But anyway, um, so Autumn started out with, with James, but um, he suffered a traumatic brain injury, and that was a very hard period of time. They had to leave where, he, he, where they had, had been producing the fruit um, and, well, jump forward to, to get the Reader's Digest story, version of the story. 
to now, and that now we're um, in in Vanatten, which is about 20 miles from um, where the well, 15 miles from where the orchard had been, and we're planting um, cider specific varieties. Um, James uh, still has an orchard in Newfield um, where we used to really rely on on that production, but now um, we're producing much more in uh, in Vanatten, and um, our cidery is in an old funny story about that but anyways is an old dairy barn basically that we've modified the inside of which to to it looks like a winery inside outside it looks just like a 50s era era dairy barn um so there's the three of us mostly and then there we uh celia bicatus works for us and she's like uh integral so you guys spend time with the orchards with trees with pests Right, land issues. Right, it's and challenging. It's amazing you got this 2015 in, into a bottle. It's totally. It is. It is challenging. Thank you for acknowledging that. Can I make a plug for people to visit the wonderful cidery tasting rooms and orchards that we have in New York State? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a great way to get to know, as you say, your apple farmers and the people that are making your. How cider. can I find out more about them? Well. Uh, Funny you should ask. (laughs) You know, year-round, the New York Cider Association website, which is newyorkciderassociation.com, has a map that includes the locations of all of our members that welcome visitation, welcome people to come and check out their orchards and their their tasting rooms. Um, Obviously, during the Cider Week festivals, we have a much more robust activity on our Cider Week NYC or... HV or FLX websites, um, <laughs> but year-round um, you'll get the the latest news if you sign up for our email newsletter, and you can do that on any of the sites. But why don't you go to ciderweeknyc.com to do it, so you can see what events are coming up for the Balance of Cider Week, which runs through Sunday the 29th. Saturday. and Saturday, Jimmy Cider Feast, Jimmy Cider Kitchen. Feast is going to bring lots of your New York favorites as brands. well as cider makers from around the world. Basque, France, yep. you know, there's other yep. traditions too. We some learn some West Coast homies are going to be there, yeah, right? Yeah. Oregon, so Easy, Easy's going to be there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but on that note, you know, New York State. Cheers to you guys. Um, it is so nice to drink this world class and very crushable. Uh, Eve Cider Northern Spy 2015, and we learned a little about just just how much work it took to get into this bottle, and uh, you know how, how many cases of this did you make? Um, approximately, approximately probably 350. 300. Yeah, 300, 350. So cases. we'll probably drink one case this week. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and for you, Dan, just la- last jump in. I know you're involved with different cider associations, but for you again as an orchardist. You know, anything else you want to, to wrap up? I, I, you know, I, I, I all of resi- our Ezra's stories resonated with me. It's a, it's a, it's certainly a challenging uh, thing to do to to grow apples, um, and uh, it, and every year is uh, is a little bit different. Um, the thing that's uh, so cool about doing cider is that it's such a creative process. On top of the challenges of growing, it is uh, it, it's really trying to uh, to discover something about this fruit in in the process of um, of making this this great product and uh, and then how to share it with people how to how to how to it links with uh, cuisine and fresh food and uh, and and the the work that we're trying to do to kind of build some culture around that and it's really very exciting and Jimmy thanks for your all your work on that too it's just yeah. been. Um, uh, I'm just happy to host you guys. Yeah. <laughs> Drink the good stuff. <laughs> Thank I mean, you. I think you've done a great job to promote cider and uh, and to bring us aboard here uh, on the radio show too. It's been, uh, it's well, been cheers great. to you guys. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. Thanks.
Ezra, lastly. Thank you. I, I just was uh, wanted to, to plug an event that I'm involved with. Um, uh, T.J. Provenzano, who I uh, met when he was uh, the buyer for Brooklyn Enology. He's a great guy. And he now is involved in two other um, endeavors. One is Rooftop Reds, very interesting uh, uh, vineyard on the top of a building in Brooklyn. But he's also involved in uh, uh, Mayanaki, which is a um, kind of a sustainable uh, uh, sushi house in Manhattan. And we're having a, a 15 course omakase. I looked out how to pronounce that. You did uh, good. Did I get that? Omakase. Meal on Saturday. Um, so it's 15 courses, um, seven ciders. All your ciders? Um, six of them. Um, and then I, I nabbed a couple of bottles of Farnham Hill. And uh, so that you, you could, uh, you can um, link, to, you, can, you can sign up for tickets. It's pricey, but I think it's going to be really cool. Um, and it's all sustainably um, sourced seafood, I, I should say, went where possible. Um, so it's uh, Mayanaki. It's on the, on the, web, on the uh, website. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to Mayanaki or you could go to Cider um, Week. Cider yeah. Week. Yep. And I'd and say it's... Sign up for that. It is yeah. pricey, but, but it's value for money. And for an omakase, 15 courses and pairing at a quality place, it's actually kind of a bargain. So well, it's, nice, it's nice seeing... So, I've definitely seen a lot more... Like, Dinner pairings, it's nice seeing you know fine cider put into that position. And my since we talked about Hunger Games, so you're coming from the District 12, and now you're in the Capital Region. <laughs> yeah, it's moving it. Up. It's and I'm in a I'm in a uh, I've never been on the radio. I don't think now I'm in a in a. It's so freaking Brooklyn. I'm in <laughs> I'm in a in a radio studio, in uh, Roberta's uh, Pizza looking through this big plate glass window into what looks like an equipment shed, but is actually where diners are eating. You know, it's just... Well, that's why, you know, our our city folk would love to come up to your tasting rooms because you guys have the Brooklyn aesthetic already. You know, (laughs) barns and, uh, you know, stuff. And uh, Jen, thanks for coming on, guys. So Jen and uh, Dan and Ezra, thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special Cider Week show. And our good buddy, Eric West, uh, Cider Guide, he sends out an email. So hopefully... um, He's putting these links up because he's such. He's the big supporter of of cider, as everybody knows. Big shout out, Justin Kennedy, our producer, and uh, our engineer extraordinaire, David Tadashore. Thanks for this special episode. We'll uh, catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo woo. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.